services this month. Especially on Sunday morning if they're able. I want to make a big push to try to influence the families around us. And I'm sure that all of us know some family that needs God in their lives. Someone who needs God in their lives. So if you will invite one person, just one person, if we can get their family to come, I think we could really have a very good influence on the community around us. So if we can, can do that, I think we would be much better off. But our lessons for this month, at least on Sunday mornings, are going to be about the home and how important God in the home is. I ask you the question, the question that I'm going to be asking all month, is God in your home? Not just for homes where we think of you know, fathers and mothers with children. Uh, I think of homes where children have moved away. Think of homes where maybe uh, newlyweds uh, are the case. But there are many homes throughout the world, and all of us, all of our homes, no matter whether they even be single homes, all homes need to be influenced by God and His Word. I want to ask you a question today. Have you ever invited someone into your home? Maybe it was your grandparents or, or someone like that. I think of you know, our parents, they come over, or my mom does anyway, whenever she comes to pick us up from the singings. And every so often she has to come in. And uh, I know there have been a couple of times where Marissa has been a little ashamed to have her inside because we hadn't really prepared for any guests. And so that, that's one of the reasons. But have you ever invited someone into your home? Maybe you invited them over for dinner. Maybe you invited them over for some other reason, but you wanted them to come over. How long did it take you to prepare for their visit? How long did it take you to set your house in the right order to make sure that everything was in place, that everything was just perfect for their visit? I can remember a couple of times my grandma said, you know, I'd rather see a home that's been lived in than to see one that's completely clean. But even so, it's often the case that we take a lot of time to prepare for someone to visit us, do we not? It may take us days, it may take us weeks, it may take us a whole month, but we prepare for that visit. Now, have you invited Christ into your home? I'm not talking about physically into our homes as we would someone that we know. But have we invited Christ into our lives and into our hearts? And if he, we've invited Him into our hearts, then we've also invited Him into our homes. But have you invited Christ into your home? This lesson is about those who invited Christ into their homes. There are going to be four cases that we look at throughout Scripture, throughout the New Testament, where we find that Christ was invited into a home for one reason or another. We're going to look at the home of Simon Peter and Andrew. We're going to look at the home of Jairus. We're going to look at the home of Mary and Martha. And we're going to look at the home of Zacchaeus. 
And in all of these cases, in all four cases that we find in the New Testament, we find individuals that were invited, or Christ being invited to these individuals' homes. On all four occasions, he was invited under different circumstances to serve special needs. He was invited and received well rather than being asked in a sarcastic manner, hey, you want to come over to my house and then maybe ridiculing him later? That wasn't the case. These, these people were very serious about having Christ in their home. And in all four cases, we find that all of these homes received a special blessing because of Christ's presence. We can learn from these examples of Christ being welcomed into these homes. We can learn from Him being a welcomed guest. Not someone that was brought in because of a position that he held or for high status in society. He was invited into their homes to serve a need that they had. And they knew that he could serve that need. But in all of these cases, he was a welcomed guest. Let's look first at the visit to the home of Simon Peter and of Andrew. Mark chapter 1. Begin, beginning at verse 29 and reading through verse 31, we read of this visit. Mark 1, verses 29 through 31. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever, and they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up and immediately the fever left her and she served them. We see that he was invited to this home where someone was ill. They, they welcomed him. Not only did they welcome him, but they sought him out at once. They told him what had happened. And he was a welcomed guest in that home. Let's look at the home of Jairus, Matthew chapter 9, beginning with verse 18. Matthew 9 and beginning with verse 18. While he spoke these things to them, behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come and lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And skipping to verse 23, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing, he said to them, Make room, for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. But when the crowd was put aside, outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. And the report of this went out into all the land. We see that he was invited into the home of Jairus to serve a need. Death had touched that home. And much sadness and sorrow was there 
So Jairus sought Jesus and asked him to come home with him. And he did. Let's notice the home of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 38. Luke 10 and verse 38. Now it happened as they went that he entered a, cer a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Now we talk about preparing our homes for someone to visit. Well, Jesus was there. And Martha, even while Jesus was there, was preparing the home for Jesus' visit. She was distracted by her serving Him, making sure that He was comfortable. But Mary was sitting at his feet listening to his words. You see, there was a need in that home. There was a hunger and thirst that could not be filled by food and water. There was a hunger and thirst for God's Word. Jesus was serving that need. Mary understood. Martha, however, did not. She was worried about other things. That home definitely had a need for God's Word. And let's look at the home of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19. Luke 19 and verse 1. Luke 19 verse 1. <clears throat> then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not. Because of the crowd. For he was of short stature. And we're not sure exactly how short he was. But I wonder if he wasn't somewhere close to my height. Maybe shorter. But verse 4. So he ran and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place he looked up and saw him. And said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, to the Lord Look, Lord, I, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus was hated by the people. He was considered a sinner because he was a tax collector. 
Everybody knew that tax collectors took too much. They kept some of it for themselves. They were dishonest. This man was definitely a sinner. And when we look at Jesus, we see that he almost invites himself over, but he's still a welcomed guest. He knew that Zacchaeus needed something that he could provide, and so he went to his house. And he says in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house. Yes, Zacchaeus was a sinner. He was unrighteous. But Jesus brought salvation to him because he needed it. Now as we look at each of these four homes, we see that the homes that Jesus visited were all in need of Him. They were all in need of something that only He could provide. One was facing serious illness and they needed Christ in their home. One had been touched by death and they needed Christ in their home. One was spiritually hungry for God's Word and His teachings and they needed Christ in their home. And one was in great need of salvation. They needed Christ in that home. As we look at the voids that were in these homes, by each of these things that we look at, we see that they were voids that only Christ could fill. No other could have gone into those homes and taken care of the need that was there. They needed Christ in their homes. <coughs> but let's look at how the needs were supplied. Let's look at each of these four homes and see the need that was there. I hope that we realize through this lesson that we are also in the same need of Christ in our homes. We see that many homes today are suffering from illness and disease. Some illnesses are temporary. We might think of colds and sinus issues and things of that nature. Some things like strep throat that might keep us in. Some things that only last maybe for a matter of days and are gone and, and that's the end of them. Some suffer from migraines. I know my sister had those. And, and they are very difficult headaches to, to get rid of. Very painful. At least from, from what I've heard. But they go away very shortly. But we think of, of illnesses such as those and and we realize that there are some illnesses that only last temporarily. But we also know that there are illnesses that last for long periods of time. Some things such as bronchitis and things that are hard to get over, they last for, for a month or two maybe even. And we think of cancer, Alzheimer's or dementia, things that never truly go away. They, they last sometimes even until the person's death. Those are difficult illnesses to deal with. I think we all realize that even when just 
a small portion of our body. Maybe just one member is hurting. The whole body is hurting. You know, have you ever had a, a just a, a simple headache that seemed to last all day and and all you could think about was getting rid of that headache. You know, what, what can I take that would get rid of that headache so I can go back to normal life? This will tell you, even just whenever I have a headache, it takes me out for an hour or two. I've got to nap it off. And she doesn't like that necessarily. But that's the way I deal with it. But even when one member, even if your finger is hurting, your whole body is hurting and you're wondering, you know, how can I get rid of this pain? When everyone is ill, nothing else matters except for being well again. Making your body whole again. As we look at illness in the home, and especially looking in the home of Simon Peter, we see that his family chose to face this illness with God in their home. This was a serious fever that Peter's mother-in-law was dealing with. And what did they do? Look in Mark 1 and verse 30 and it says that Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and they told him about her at once. They knew that Jesus could heal her. They knew his power and so they sought him out at once. They needed him in the home. They knew that in this time of illness that they needed Christ. Whatever he could do, they needed Christ in that home. When we face illnesses, whether they be temporary or whether they be long-lasting, whenever we face illnesses in the home, let me tell you, we need Christ in our homes. And we have a choice to make as to whether we have Christ in the home or whether we don't. It's up to us to make that choice, is it not? Just looking at it from the eyes of a Christian. When we look at illnesses as Christians, when we look at diseases and the things that we are afflicted with, through the eyes of God. We can see a time when these aches and pains are no more. Remember what is said in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 4. Revelation 21 and verse 4. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. You see, we see in our future. We see in eternity a time when these aches and pains will be gone. When all illnesses, all disease, everything that brings sorrow and crying, everything that we do not like about these things, gone, done away with. We can see that in eternity. And it helps us to deal with the pain that we deal with in this life. We also understand that Christians can turn to God and pray on another's behalf. 
and know that those prayers will be answered. John chapter 5 verses 15 and 16 And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up and if he has committed sins he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. I understand these verses to be talking at least to some degree about sin. And pray for forgiveness for sin. When someone has trespassed against another, pray for them. I also understand that when we pray for the sick, when we pray for God to be a part of that sickness, to help them in their time of need, and even carry them through that sickness, says here that the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. When we pray, if we believe those prayers will be answered, they will be answered. Maybe not in the way that we would think they should be answered. The person may not be healed immediately. They may not be healed at all. But praying for Christ to be a part of that, praying for God to be a part of that, we know that He can provide comfort. He can ease the pain and suffering that they are going through. And even their families, comfort can be provided. But when we pray for Christ's will, for God's will, in that situation, when we pray for God's will, we know that it will be done. Now, the illnesses may not go away, not completely anyway, but we can trust that God knows best how to provide for His children. Even if the illness later leads to death, we can find comfort in realizing God's presence. But now let's look at it from the eyes of a non-Christian. What does a non-Christian have in time of illness and disease? A non-Christian, someone who does not know Christ, does not know God, is left with only pain and suffering. They may find comfort. They may find it in a family member or a friend that has come to try to help them to deal with that illness, but ultimately they're only dealing with pain and suffering. It's really no cure. Because family and friends can only provide for the physical needs. They can't provide for what's lacking on the inside. Lack of trust in God. So a Christian, in time of illness and disease, can find comfort in God and in His Word. Non-Christian cannot. But many homes are also suffering from recent death, or maybe even death that 
It's years removed from where we are now. Death is a dreaded word. One of my first sermons that I ever preached was on death. My grandparents worried because I preached it two or three times. I thought it was the only sermon that I could preach. But I remembered somebody asking me about death and how to deal with it. I tried to provide them the best comfort that I could. But there's so much that we don't know about death. And what we do know is scary. Just look at the characteristics that we find in death. Death is an unwelcome guest of almost all. Even those that believe in God, even those that that feel that they are ready to go, don't want to go right now. There's a great fear of death. Death is no respecter of persons. We see the lives taken of those who are elderly. We see lives taken of those who are young. It doesn't matter age. It doesn't matter how wealthy or poor you are. It doesn't, none of those things matter when it comes to death because death is no respecter of persons. And that's scary. Sometimes death is expected and sometimes it is sudden. Some have time to prepare, maybe years to prepare for that death, but some it just happens in a blink of an eye. And the loss of someone you love is difficult and often takes time to overcome. One thing that we know about death is that death will be faced by all. We will all face the sting of death. But how we face it is our choice. You see, Christians are comforted in knowing that they will be with God. And family members are comforted in their loved one's relationship with Him. In knowing that they were Christians, it makes it easier to let them go. In the letter to the church of Smyrna, in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 11, it says at the end of that letter, He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. First death being the death of this life, but the second death being the death of judgment. Whenever we're told that He never knew us and depart, if we hear those words, that's the second death. But those who are faithful will not be hurt by that death. They will not be hurt by the death of judgment. And punishment. And those of us that have lost relatives that we know are Christians, it eases that pain. It eases that loss because we know that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He who overcomes will be in heaven with God for eternity. That's comforting to know. But now let's look at the life of a non-Christian. You see, a non-Christian, when a non-Christian leaves this life, 
and loved ones behind. They leave behind mystery in their own minds and in the minds of those that love them. What will happen to them? Where will they spend eternity? What will their fate be? You see, there is no hope of a bright, eternal existence to a non-Christian. While Christians can be sure of reward, those dying outside of Christ are only hoping not to suffer. You ever thought about that? They're hoping that there is no judgment. They're hoping that there is no eternity because if there is an eternity and they're wrong, what eternity do they face? They face an eternity of punishment. They face the second death. You see, a non-Christian, the only hope that they have is that there is no judgment, that there is no eternity. What kind of hope are they left with? There are many homes that are in need of God's Word. There are some who believe in God and and claim Christianity, but they refuse to obey His Word. Some people want God without the religion. They want God, but they don't want His Word. They don't want His teachings. They don't want to know that there's something that they must do other than believing in God. But how can you claim to know God and to know Christ and yet separate Christ from the Word? I don't understand that. Go back to our scripture reading in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You see, we learn from just the very first few verses of the book of John. We learn from the Word that Christ is the Word. And if you use some of the more recent translations, such as the New King James Version or or any of those that come after that for the most part, you'll find that word, that word, word, is capitalized because it's in reference to Jesus. See, Jesus is our source of light and life. So how can we separate Christ from the word when He is the word The homes of today desperately need God's Word. They desperately need God's Word. We're told in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. When we have that hunger and thirst for righteousness, where do we seek to be filled from? We seek God's Word. Do we not? And having that hunger and thirst for righteousness, we're told that in order to be happy in life, 
We must have that hunger and thirst. And having that hunger and thirst for righteousness, we shall be filled. The faithful on earth will be filled in this life. We find in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed Him, If you abide in My word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. John 14, verses 23 and 24, Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves Me, he will keep My word, and My Father will love him, and we will come to Him and make our home with Him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine but the Father's who sent me. We also understand that the faithful will be filled in eternity. John 5 and verse 24. Most assuredly I say to you, He who hears my word and believes in Him who sent me, has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment but has passed from death into life. Revelation 2 and verse 7, the latter part of that verse says, To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Revelation 21 and verse 6, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. You see, that need for food and water is nothing in comparison to the need for God's Word. The hunger and the thirst and the desire of God's Word. And if we seek it, we will find it. We will be filled. Not just in this life, but in eternity as well. And finally, many homes are in need of salvation. All who are outside of Christ will be lost in the day of judgment. The only way to be in Christ is through obedience to His Word. If you leave from here with nothing else from this lesson than what I'm about to say, know that God loves you. That God cares for you. God wants you. To be saved. Very familiar passage. John 3 and verses 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whoever believes in Him should not perish. But have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through Him might be saved. He loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for you. 2 Peter 3 and verse 9 says that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise. The promise of the second coming. As some count slackness. But is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God wants you to be saved. No matter how evil you may have been, no matter how much bad you've done in your life, God wants you to be saved. He gave His Son to die for you so that you would be saved. But in order to find salvation, we must be obedient to the plan of salvation. And we must remain faithful throughout life. Through obedience and faithfulness, we are inviting Christ into our hearts, our lives.
and our homes. To the church of Laodicea. The church that was found to be lukewarm. Probably in one of the worst conditions that we find any of the churches that are listed in Revelation 2 and 3. But we see to the church of Laodicea, it was written in Revelation 3 and verses 19 through 21. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Whatever negative we find in relationship to God's Word in our lives, it's only out of love. Whatever rebuke we find, it's only out of love. Those who God loves, those are the ones He rebukes and chastens. Those are the ones He wants to repent. Jesus wants to be welcome in your life. But you must invite Him in. I don't know who drew the painting. I've never actually seen it, but I've heard about it. But there's a painting of Christ. He's at a door. He's standing outside of the door and He's knocking. One of the key things about that painting, there's no doorknob. Why? The only doorknob is found inside. We must open the door. He's standing there knocking. He's waiting for us, but we have to answer the door. Christ is to dwell in our homes. We must prepare for His arrival. I want to ask you the same question that we asked at the very beginning of our lesson. Have you invited Christ into your home? Is He a part of your home today as He should be? Or is He absent from your home? No matter what type of home you may have, we all need Christ in our home. We start by obedience. By ourselves obeying His Word. Repentance, confession, baptism for the remission of sins, just as His Word has taught us. Once we have put Him on in baptism, once we have buried all of those sins and, and buried our old life, we can rise to walk in the newness of life. A life in Christ. And what a blessing it is to know that everything that, that troubles us, every sin, every illness, every disease, even death, anything that we are bothered by, we can take it to God in prayer. And that He will answer in the best way. But we must be one of His children. And maybe it is that, that you've not lived a faithful life. Maybe you've done all of those things, but you've not lived faithfully. And you need to come back. We always offer an opportunity. 
to anyone who's in need of coming in obedience or repentance, whichever the case may be, if there is something that we can do to assist you, we hope Christ is in your heart, that He's in your life, that He's in your home today. But if you need to make some changes, if there's something that we can do to help you, then we give you the opportunity to come. It's together we stand and as we stand.